Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, just pull it. Nike yanks its products from Amazon as it doubles down on direct-to-consumer, how this could shake up the retail industry. Plus, cashing in on fintech, Pete makes his fast pitch for American Express. But will the rest of the desk buy in? And check out this mystery transport stock posting its worst day in more than a month, what it says about the health of the industry. We start off with a touch of magic. Shares of Disney soaring more than 7% today after the company announced its new streaming service surpassed 10 million signups in just one day. That news adding more than $18 billion in market cap to the entertainment giant today alone. And get this, since Disney announced pricing for Disney Plus back in April, it's gained more than $58 billion in value. So doing the magical math, $58 billion in market cap, 10 million subscribers, that makes each Disney Plus user worth about $6,000. So is this Disney magic too good to be true? (laughs) Guy. That's, a, that's one way to do the math. I, I mean, I think the market is saying it's going to be far more than $10 million at a certain point. So that's 6000 I guess their hope is at some point it's $60 if you do that math. That's probably sure. their ultimate hope. With that said, I mean, here's a stock today that traded about six times normal volume, made an all-time high. It's up 50%-ish since that day they announced legalized gambling when the stock was meandering around $99. To me, that was the first lifeline. This is the second one. Again, it comes down to this. Can you wrap your head around the valuation? I understand Karen and I spoke about it last night. They're spending money to make money, and I get it. How long does that take and how long are you willing to wait? And how long should you stick around after a 50% move over the last, you know, six or seven months, I say probably not a bad time to take profits in the name. We did this magical map because the exercise at this point for investors who've who've seen this ride up is how much is priced in for a business which we don't know it's going to pay off yet. It's a money money hole right now Mm -hmm. um, in hopes that in the future it will pay off. Right. It's a money hole, but they've got, it's a money hole funded by someone with a lot of content and a ton of money. Sure. Right? So if anyone is going to be able to compete, it will be Disney. So I think, you know, we said at the top of the show about how much has already been priced in a lot. This move today, I mean, it, it was trading 137 before they announced this number. $11 in Disney is an extraordinary yeah. move, right? So it would be hard to say, oh, now's the moment. You've got to get in. I feel like this really is a buy the rumors, sell the news. Um, You know, last night we got a little lucky because there was that glitch and people thought, oh, the launch didn't go smoothly. That's a complete sideshow non-event. Here, wow, that's a lot of good stuff already priced in. I mean, I think good for them for for being really aggressive, getting this out there. They've done an extraordinary job with the launch. Um, But that's a This is like a perfect stock for a Karen barometer. Mm -hmm. When you feel like it's overpriced, you have to, are you going to get a bigger multiple in Disney? For this, do you ever get I your head around you that? I think you will, but maybe you need a little more. I, I think why? You need, why? Why do you, do you need a little yeah, more? Why a little more. They're in the game. They don't have to win the game. Uh-huh. They just have to be in the game. This well, is. It's the already game. there. Streaming is there for them now. 
okay, streaming's there for them. The costs are all there. I, I mean, look, I believe that it's going to work. But are so by your theory, then you would pay any price, right? No, not any okay. price. So, a higher, so there's a higher price. multiple than the existing multiple okay. that's been put on. So what's the multiple okay, you that pay may be. for? That's what is fair that? It's, that you know, is for 60 me, to 90 million by fiscal 2024, which for, is their goal. For me, that has to be calculated. The market will tell you what it is, and technically, it has to hold that 130 mark. We're way above that right now. I, I wouldn't be a buyer today. That's what I'm saying. Today, would you be a but buyer? I wouldn't be a buyer. I wouldn't be a buyer because I don't believe the multiple. I wouldn't be a buyer because the move has been so big. So you get a little reversion. But yeah, I think, okay, we're not. I think it goes much higher than where it is. You're right not now. too far apart. We're on not. That. We're no. not. No. no. We talked about this stretched, on, on, by the way. On, it, it, the <laughs> valuation feels stretched. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm a, a, that's what you're saying, right, Karen? Just I mean, you're, for the moment, Rob, this eleven dollar move in a single day and the rest of the Disney. And this is a new. I know what you're saying. The streaming and and the other thing is. They do have content, to your point, Karen. I mean, this is something where they're not having to pay for all of this content like everybody else. Yes, they're going to have their original content, but think of the content they've already got with Marvel and Pixar and all the rest of it. And then the bundle package with Hulu and all that. There's a lot of reasons to be excited, and I understand the excitement. And I think it's a FOMO deal where these guys all are jumping in today, and that's one of those things that we see happen all the time, Mel, where suddenly the stock's up $11 on this. Really? I mean, this was... This was a known. This was something that we all had some perception of how it would go. Now, most of these, many of these, I would say, the majority of these uh, subscribers, the 10 million, are free. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's going to have to absolutely play out over time, right? Where do they still do they stay when they have to pay? Mm-hmm. That's the real number. Right, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, I think embedded in this whole discussion also is, is if Netflix is valued at, at X... Should Disney pick up some of that valuation of Netflix because of the road that it's on? And so, therefore, when you say the valuation seems stretched right now, are we not allowing it to expand because it should expand because it's in this streaming business? No, I think that's fair. I mean, Karen's got a view on this. Listen, Netflix also has a seven-year head start, and apparently, at least what you look at, a pretty sticky user base. Now, again, I don't know how sticky it's going to be in the years to come, but till now it's been pretty good and you still have that international growth. So I think Disney would love to be a Netflix at some point. But the runway to get there is it's not next week. It's probably more like five to seven years from now. So in terms of that valuation, it doesn't happen overnight. So at 25 times, which is where it's trading now, that's historically extraordinary expensive understanding that they have this new revenue. It's got to happen. But also, you know what else has to happen? Apple Why has to get a Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, back up, back up, back up. Yeah. Why do you say it's got to happen? Why? I mean, I understand that if you believe that it will happen. you're giving an unrealistic multiple. On, I'm not saying it has to get a Netflix multiple, but it uh. has to get a larger multiple than Disney's core business has been given. Okay. In but, all the but, history of Disney trading, it has to get a higher multiple but, than that. No one would argue that, right? Well, okay, so, so the, the projections by Disney is 60 to 90 million subscribers by fiscal 2024, which is approximately four years from now. How many Netflix subscribers are there in the United States right now? 60 About million 60 subscribers. Right. So in, in that many years, should yeah. Disney have the Netflix valuation? Well, I... I don't know is the short answer, but I think it's the streaming business is changing, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that it, I think they could end up with with more than that. But I think it's also an issue of cost as well. It's not just how many subscribers, right? It's what is sure. the cost, and also what other costs of Disney? What do they? You know, Disney owns ABC TV. That's you know, that's not where you want to be right now. Right. On the flip side, though, Disney doesn't need to get a Netflix multiple. Netflix right. multiple might need to come down. And Netflix a is the pure play. Yes. But Netflix is the pure play. So Netflix has one 
way of earning income. Disney has multiple ways of earning income. So it just I'm not saying a, a, I'm not saying a doubling of the multiple, but there's got to be some increase. And if you say there's not there's not an increase in multiple deserved, I, I think that you're not being honest. But with you it. can see that there should be a, a, a downgrade of multiple in a, in a stock like Netflix. A hundred percent. OK, so it's, it's going to meet in the middle somewhere. Yes. All right, let's get some more reaction to these Disney Plus numbers. Joining us now is Tom Rogers, executive chairman of WinView, former TiVo CEO, former NBC cable president. He's a fast money friend. You name it, he is it. He's also <laughs> a stud. I say that okay. all the time, too. Well, I was, I was going to say it. Up to you. I'm going to say it. Say that after I'm done. say it after. I can only disappoint. The pressure is so high now. I am also a Disney Plus subscriber. You as are, of so yesterday. you're one of the 10 million. I, I'm a Verizon subscriber, so I got it for free and I took it. Do you, do you look at that 10 million and think, oh, yeah, that uh, $10, $10 pop in the stock was justified? Well, you, you got to give them their due. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that was a hell of a launch, and that's a very big number. Um, I think that uh, they put a lot of pieces together here to get to this. You know, they did, they did Fox. They, they bought Hulu. They took control from Comcast. They put together a bundle. They did the Verizon deal. And then they launched with $10 million. But we've got to remember, Disney Plus is one piece of this game. And they are losing satellite and cable subs that have a very big per-sub number attached to them. That's $15, $16 per subscriber. That cord cutting really begins to hurt, and you don't make it up with $6.99 Disney subs. Forget about free or discounted Disney Plus subs. And then the question is, so how much is the bundle? Well, you don't make it up with $13 uh, bundle subs either. And the question really is, how fast is that legacy business going to go down? Now, you got Disney is better positioned than any other traditional media company to get this right. And the momentum is now with them. And I think they will continue to enjoy that momentum until something happens on the legacy side of the business. Right now, the legacy numbers are disguised because you have advertising continuing to go up somewhat with pricing. And you have long term affiliate agreements with cable and satellite, which disguise the cord cutting going on there. But at some point, we're going to have a day like this going the other way when the legacy issues begin to show themselves. Mm -hmm. And that disintegration of the bundle could happen faster than what people are now looking at as the growth rate of the new business. They've established themselves. They're there. They deserve credit for what they've done. But don't take your eye off the ball here. It's the question of the rate of decline of the legacy business versus how fast this new stuff grows. So even though Disney has a deep library of content and the money to spend on new content, do you think a pure play streaming play is actually in a better position because it doesn't deal with the drag from this atrophying legacy business? Well, not not all pure play streaming plays, but if Netflix is Uh what we're talking about when we say say that, no doubt better positioned because it has a huge head start. It has a $15 billion programming budget, over half of which is original programming compared to about a $2 billion original programming uh, Disney budget. Disney, I think, is going to have to really invest much more significantly in Hulu with original programming than what they've shown yet, particularly for the international piece of that business. Remember, Hulu is, is losing, going to lose the Comcast NBC content. Uh, Fox is not really producing original content of this ilk anymore. And so 
They did a very smart thing saying that FX programming was going to be highly associated with Hulu, but they have a lot more to go, particularly an international budget there, if they're going to begin to get into the Netflix game. Now, when it comes to original programming, The Mandalorian was their big release in terms of the launch, and you've got to give them due there, too. That got great reviews, both user and media critic reviews. Uh, you want your first original foray to get that kind of thing because, in the end of the day, library products important, but I don't think it defines what really is going to keep these things from churning, which is more good original programming. So the bottom line, the streaming launch was successful, but you're still a skeptic on the overall business model that Disney's got. Uh, more positive on it for Disney than any other traditional media company, but very aware that the traditional side of the business is in for a steep decline, and I think it's an unknown which, which happens at a more rapid rate. Tom, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank for you for having me. Tom Rogers, does this change your mind? Uh, no, and I'm not going to invite Tom back into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that there's no way he can be gone just yet. I, I think that we've had those days where we've, where we've seen Disney sell off because of ESPN, because of their core business. I think now this is Disney's way of fighting with ESPN Plus and with streaming. So we've already seen the negative. Now it's about changing a little bit of the perception to be more positive, and I think that's the stage we're in now. Yeah, we said for a while, I mean, the stock is set up to push towards its all-time highs. That's effectively what happened in four or five hours today. We're here on six times normal volume. Now, to buy it here, in my opinion, you're betting that the market's going to continue to go higher and there's going to be this new flood of capital into the name. I think that's a big bet to make. I'm more inclined to say at this level to take profits and look for that pullback to 130, which we were just at yesterday, as it turns <laughs> out, right? Yeah. Karen? I did a P trade today. Nice. Yes, there's a calendar, January, November, 150 call calendar, just the November, so it was just seemed like kind of a bit of a frenzy and to leg into that calendar. So it's, a, it's you know, I have some exposure there, but it just seemed like, wow, people are getting super excited. Right. Um, maybe a little too much. And Mel, to that point, I think when well, Tom brings up a great point, which is the traditional side and the money they'll be losing from that and replacing with this, but it's not really $10 million. I mean, that number is going to be a different number when that actually turns into paying subs. So that's the difference. Plus, they're losing that money. And it might not happen at the same speed. He doesn't know which one will go faster. But it's still there. And we all know it. The traditional side, that's going to slowly crumble. And then all of a sudden, how well can they do on this side, the yeah. new side, the streaming? Remember digital dimes and analog dollars? Oh, I love those. I still have them, like, like subway tokens. <laughs> and remember the Garden State Parkway? We used to have to no, throw I, the little things. And I do remember the tokens, though. But th to that point. Yeah. You're switching the legacy ones, yes. which are more money for the digital right. subscribers, which are less. But good for them for recognizing exactly. our and business is in a, you know, a structural tectonic plate move. Mm -hmm. We've got to address it, and they did yep. in a huge way. Coming up, Fed Chair Powell testifying on the Hill today. We'll tell you what he had to say and what it means for the markets. Plus, Nike kicks Amazon to the curb while Walmart gets ready to report. We've got a full retail roundup coming your way. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another historic day for stocks without hitting a new all-time intraday high, while the S&P 500 saw its 20th closing record of the year. The record rally coming as Fed Chief Jerome Powell told lawmakers he's optimistic about the economy and that, for now, rates are on hold. I think the new normal now is lower interest rates, lower inflation, probably lower growth. And you're seeing that all over the world, not just in the United States. You're seeing it to a much greater extent in many parts of the world than we're, we're seeing it here. Let's bring in Mark Cabana, B of A, Merrill Lynch's head of U.S. rate strategy. He just toned down his market forecast for the year. Mark, great to see you. Thank you. Um, you are at uh, 2%, correct, yes. for the year, year-end right. 2019 on the 10-year yield. Um, in Powell's speech, it almost sounded like he was worried about um, deflation coming in from around the world. And I'm wondering how, how big of a concern that is and how you factor that in. Yeah, you know, I think that what we're hearing from this Fed is that they are hoping that they can keep rates on hold for now, but they're still worried. And that really struck me today in Powell's comments. He talked a little bit about he, how he was worried about downside risks to the outlook, in particular emanating from abroad. And I think that even though the Fed is telling us that low rates are the new normal and that they hope to remain on hold, that they're still worried that they may need to lower them again in the future. They're hoping that that's not the case, but they're worried about low inflation. They're worried about trade uncertainties. They're worried about global data, and in particular data coming out of China, which it sounds like today Chair Powell is indicating that he doesn't really trust. And so in that context, you're still going to have a Fed that's very cautious, very patient, and is going to be in no hurry whatsoever to raise interest rates anytime soon. How quickly do you think the Fed would react if we found out uh, that the December 15 tariffs were going to go into effect? I mean, if they're that worried right now about the potential impacts, if we see this hit, because it doesn't seem like the two sides can agree on whether or not there will be any tariff rollbacks at this point, um, do you think that they'll act right away? So I don't think that we're going to see them uh, lower rates in December, which well, the would Fed be right around, be before, yeah. I mean, I right guess around we might that know, time. But... I don't think that you know, any indication that they would be doing that or kind of preemptive move is likely. But I also don't think that at you know, the next Fed meeting, that would be enough to tip them into lowering rates. What they need to see is that this has a sustained impact on the economy, that there would be a hit to confidence, a hit to employment potentially, and they would need to see that risks to low inflation increase before they would respond. I think the Fed really hopes that they can stay on hold, but in all likelihood, if they're going to lower rates again, it's going to be because they're very worried about a recession, and they may be worried that they need to cut rates all the way to zero. We don't think that that's likely um, in the near term. And certainly you've seen data stabilize. You've seen central banks around the world sound a little bit more neutral, less dovish. You've also seen trade tensions, despite the headline ping pong that we see every day, they've ratcheted back to some extent. Mm -hmm. And that's allowed the data to stabilize a bit. And assuming that that is what we see between now and the end of the year and into the early part of next year, the Fed won't need to do much. But if the data deteriorates and we really see that it seems like recession risks are rising, they're probably not going to wait too, too long to respond. Equity volatility has a 13 handle on it. You know, we don't talk about it that much because the 13 is not interesting. Treasury yields, 10-year yields, has gone from three and a quarter over the course of the year to 147, back to 190, 150, 190. Bond volatility is probably at historic levels, and it's and in magnitude, it's much bigger than equities. Is that in and of itself concerning? Yeah, it is concerning, and I think it reflects a market that is having a really hard time 
discerning what the economic outlook is because it's largely clouded by uncertainty and a particular trade uncertainty. And that's why you see the market that's kind of chases headlines up and down and all over. To go from 325 into, you know, 150-ish level, you did see a meaningful deceleration of activity. You saw the pace of payroll growth slow. You saw the Fed commit to lowering interest rates and follow through on that. And that, I think, brought rates lower, and it's going to keep rates low for quite a bit of time. But a lot of the day-to-day gyrations in the bond market, it's really driven by a lot of the headline news that we see. And it's a market that's struggling to determine, is this economy going to recover and really stabilize and grow faster, like the administration hopes? Or is uncertainty going to push the economy more towards a recession? And I think that's why we see all this volatility. Mark, thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Um, stabilization of rates, though, that's a good thing for equities, at least for now. I think it is a good thing. It's hard to fight the Fed, that old saying, right? Because I, it's interesting. What are they going to do with the balance sheet? All of this is going to be easing, even if they're not cutting rates anymore. The, uh, the uh, interest rate forecast for the market was at 30% for a cut in December. Now it's down to 7%. So the market's okay with where rates are. And by the way, Powell just got on board. Lower interest rates, lower gl- growth, lower inflation. You could have said the same thing in December, could you not, of 2018? Yes, you could have. I'll answer my So you're playing with your, yourself. Okay. Thank you. It's Thank a rhetorical you. game. I, pre- okay, I appreciate go ahead. it. So the markets, had, the markets, in my opinion, went higher once he got with the program and once he started cutting rates. And at this point, he's on board. And if he's not cutting rates, he's going to do something that is easing with the balance sheet. I think it's still easy markets for the equity market. You can read about today's Fed chair testimony on our website, CNBC.com. We've got much more here ahead on Fast. Here's what's coming up. Nike doesn't need Amazon. But will the athletic apparel makers move cause others to follow suit? And the chip sector is on a tear this year. Will NVIDIA's earnings add to those gains? What options markets are expecting from the semi-name? All that and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Nike giving Amazon the boot today, announcing it will no longer sell its products through the e-commerce giant. This is all part of Nike's focus on direct-to-consumer. Shares of Nike lagging the market this year, but still up around 22%. So will Nike's big bet on direct-to-consumer pay off? And we had been wondering this as direct-to-consumer has been very, very strong in its last few earnings reports. Yeah, it was interesting to me. I mean, good for Nike. If you feel like you have a brand that is that strong, like they do, that you can do this. And, you know, I'm long Foot Locker. I think it's somewhat of a positive for Foot Locker. The fewer outlets of, you know, 
the, where you can get something. Right, where you uh-huh. can get something, the, the better. However, it does show Nike's focus on direct-to-consumer, which is the, you know, that's not the best thing for Foot Locker. Right. At this point, you know, they still need each other a lot. Um, but good for them. I wonder, you know, sort of begs the question, will we start to see other brands that feel like they can do this? And what does that mean for Amazon? Can you think know. of a brand that could do it at this point? Direct to consumer without a middleman? I don't know. Well, Zappos is really powerful. Uh, I, I don't know. Should have an answer for that, but I yeah. don't. Well, I mean, we see it all the time in terms of people pulling or uh, brands pulling out of Macy's. I mean, you see it in, in other ways, not maybe necessarily Amazon. But, but, but what is it? Right. So let's talk about what it means to Amazon, though. I mean, it, it's obviously it's not a good thing necessarily. There's still people that need Amazon, but you look at it, the stock has traded okay since earnings, but now it's doing the turn again. The day they reported the stock was trading 16.50, everybody hated it. On the show that night, we said, before you go running out of the name, this is the 50% retracement of the December low and that recent high of 2020. If you're selling it here, you're trading it wrong. That turned out to be right, but I got to tell you something. On a market that only goes higher, the last week or so has not been particularly strong for Amazon. So maybe in a weird way, this is that opening salvo that has many chapters left. And does somebody else jump in and start the competition levels that, that are not necessarily Amazon direct, but it's themselves? The direct, the DTC thing, it really has become something really big over time. I mean, for individual companies, and obviously, when you look at somebody like Nike, that's the, their growth. I mean, These guys have done Under a, Armour's problem, wasn't it? It relied would, a lot on, on a, a TJ Maxx. A TJ Maxx, logo, discounted. As a Maxx you would go and get a 30% off. And it was all there. Right. It was all there, and that's what was on the shelf. So, yeah, I totally agree. The only thing, I look at Nike right now, that reaction today was really positive. But look at that P.E., Karen. I mean, I know this is a name that, you know, we all talk about on the desk, but talk about stretched. I mean, if we're looking at Disney saying it's a little stretched, I'd say Nike feels a little stretched, Starbucks. There are certain names out there that people just keep trying to pile into, but is it a little bit late to be piling in? Wait for the pullback. To Amazon guy, I agree with you. This is going in the wrong direction. I would not be bullish on Amazon right now. Speaking of retail, we could see the true test of the consumer when one of the world's largest retailers reports tomorrow. We're talking about Walmart. Um, out with earnings before the bell, shares are up roughly 29% this year, sitting a stone's throw away from an all-time high. So will Walmart tell us the true story of the health of the consumer, Grasso? So Walmart was the only one that people thought could actually compete aggressively against Amazon. And they've been doing everything right. So is this a true test of the consumer or is it a true test of how well Walmart has done to compete against Amazon? I think it's the latter versus the former. But I still think you're okay sticking with a Walmart or sticking with a Target, Mm -hmm. uh, to Pete's point, about maybe getting in too late. Valuation? Valuation, I think, is a little bit stretched to get to, to Pete's point that he just talked about. I mean, they have been doing everything right. That last quarter was fantastic. I mean, those U.S. same-store sales growth, that was really strong. Um, the grocery business doing really well. So all that having been said, I like Target, which I also think will be a survivor in competing against uh, Amazon. But the valuation isn't nearly as stretched. In fact, I, I think the valuation is too cheap. Yep. Uh, that was a, a power pitch of yours. It was. Yeah. I love the power it's pitch. It's been a long hold for me, and I'll continue to hold it, because even with the run that it's made, Mel, it's extraordinary run to the upside, right? It's up 60-plus percent, I think, on the year. This thing's still trading at 17 times. Remember, earlier in the year, it was trading at about 12 or 13 times. I'm looking at Walmart right now at a 26 PE or something in that range. They spent $20 billion on e-commerce, which they needed to do. They needed to compete. But they're spending all that money. How about Brian Cornell and the guys at Target? They spent $500 million for shipped. 
I mean, imagine what that value is now underneath Target's well, name. One, one thing. We, it, we'd be, we would be remiss, even though you rolled your eyes at me, we would be remiss <laughs> if we didn't offer Costco. Costco up almost 50%. Talk about a name that just continues to defy all laws of... I roll my eyes at you more often than not. So it's really not a remarkable thing, um, Guy. That's usually the, sort of my domain. Eyes, yes. I will tell you that I know for a fact that one Carter Braxton Worth, who mm. appeared tomorrow on Options Action at 530, one of my favorites. Tomorrow's Thursday? Yes, Today's not Wednesday. Thursday? Oh, man. My whole week's screwed up now. Well, can you just go He'll be on Friday. <laughs> he mentioned Costco if you go back to the spring. When the market was floundering, Costco was holding in there. I'm telling you, CBW, good for him. And quickly, uh-huh. if Walmart deserves a 24 PE, which wow. I think is a little ridiculous, Target shouldn't be at 16 and a half. Target right. shouldn't be 24, but it should be probably closer to 19. Mm-hmm. You can do the math on the back of that. Coming up, Peloton peddling higher today. We'll tell you what had the stock soaring in the last minutes of trading. Plus, Pete's stepping up to the plate to cash in on one stock. He'll tell us the name and why he sees it paying up. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The fintech space has been on a tear this year, and Pete is cashing in on one name in particular. He's over at the plaza with his fast pitch. Pete, take it away. Yeah, and we're throwing out American Express, and I like this name. I own this name, and here's why. When you look at the C-suite, it's been a very, very solid thing for this company for a very long period of time. As a matter of fact, the CEO who was named the CEO in 2018 sounds like he's young, you know, a couple of years in. Let me tell you something. The guy's been there since 1985. This is a company that has a great C-suite. It's why I think they function as well as they do. So when you look at that, and then you start looking down at the fundamental story, trades at a great P.E., they got a dividend yield. It's not as high as I'd like it to be, but it's close to 1.5%. But these guys are buying back stock like you wouldn't believe. In the last five years, about 5%. So 25% of their stock is now off. They've bought it back. So that's huge. That's a really big move. And they're not just doing it for engineering purposes. They're buying back their stock for all the right reasons. When you look at the strong fundamentals, I'm focused right on revenues and earnings. When you look at revenue growth over the last five years, 39%, that's a monster number. You look at earnings growth growth as well over the last five years, it's doubled. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, when you look at this company right now, you say, it is really clicking. And I think because of the PE multiple right now, it's too cheap. I think there's plenty of upside from here. Karen's got a question. Yeah. So yeah. where do you think the P.E. should be? Where do, how do you think about what the valuation for this company? Well, I, I look at it right now, Karen. It's trading around a 13. Why don't we just put an S&P type P.E. on this company? And, and if you put something closer, 15, 17, that puts that stock up there well above where a lot of the price targets are right now. So I think that would be a little bit closer to fair. And I also like the fact that they are much more exposed to the U.S. consumer than when you look at like a Visa and a MasterCard and some of the rest of these. 75% of their revenue is in the U.S. And that's where the strong consumer is, and I think will continue to be over the next couple of years. Anybody else have questions? Otherwise, we're just going to go ahead and vote. Oh, I think we should vote. I'm All looking right. at Karen's little book. I know. I can't book. wait to. Can't I can't wait, wait to, to see it. Um, are you buying or selling Pete's pitch on American Express, Steve Grasso? What do you say? So I love Pete, big fan. Uh-oh, but I'm but... selling. The, I'm selling the pitch. I think Visa and Mastercard have outperformed. Outperformed for a reason. I think American Express just doesn't seem to execute the proper way. And given uh, what Pete just said, where he left off with Europe being not as strong as the United States, I think Europe has troughed. And I think you're going to see that start to bounce. So for those reasons, I would rather be a buyer of Visa or MasterCard. 
Karen, what do you yes. say? I say buy. Okay, I'm really not a, this is an American Express. Is that a car? Is that Rocker? used to be, did that used to be the, uh, I think the it's iconic logo? Pretty sure. Well, so like the stock has been a buy since 2016, where it did bottom. This is my car. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like a it's, mohawk? It's a punk, yeah, a punk a American punk. Express. I'm a buyer. <laughs> With Key. Key. So Karen asked the question. So Pete ended his thing with too cheap. I had, yeah, yeah. I had put this on my board prior to wow. too cheap. Wow. Now Karen said, Mind what should the multiple be? Like well, obviously, American Express takes credit risk, so it should be cheaper, right? I think yeah. we all agree. Absolutely. But it should be half the valuation of Visa and MasterCard. Should it be Pete? Yeah. Pete says no. Shouldn't be half. Should be close <laughs> to a market multiple. Should be closer, half. right? Should yeah. be closer to a market yeah. multiple. I'm with Pedro. The last quarter was good. Delinquency rates aren't going up, which is a good thing. I think you can buy AXP here. Two buys, one sell here on the desk. They voted. Are you at home voting on Pete's pitch on uh, Amer- American Express buying or selling? Cash your vote on Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later in the show. Up next, Fed Up with FedEx. Mm. We will find out what sent shares sharply lower today. Stay with us. Fast Money is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Peloton racing higher on reports that the exercise bike maker is exploring apps for Amazon Fire TV and the Apple Watch. The company also reportedly planning a cheaper treadmill and rowing machine set to hit the market next year. Now, the stock now trading at 10 percent below its IPO price. Anybody believe that this could help it? Well, I don't think it hurts it, but again, their pathway to profitability. I mean, this is an expensive bike, an expensive treadmill. God only knows what the rowing machine is going to cost. So is it a hardware company or is it a software company? I think they try to figure that out. I love the product. Mm-hmm. I got the bike. Mm-hmm. I'm on that sucker Agreed. tonight. Are Doesn't you? mean you should bu- You took a hiatus, so you're going to get back on? I did take a hiatus. On? My back was bothering me. <laughs> But if they're going to if they're going to make cheaper, you just open up the segment saying cheaper treadmill, cheaper. So they they can get the volume. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm with it. And it, the the IPO price was twenty nine dollars. So it's honing in on that. You started to trend higher. Once you get past that resistance of the IPO price, this thing could be like a coiled spring. I would say buy it into that IPO IPO price of twenty nine. All right, switching gears here. Check out shares of FedEx stalling out today, down more than 3%. This comes after an impressive run. The stock is up more than 13% since October when Bernstein put out a note saying the bull thesis for FedEx has been shredded. So today's weakness in FedEx, the beginning of something bigger. You flagged this guy, so we've got to go to you. Yeah, I think it is the beginning of something bigger. Look, the trend has been lower now for the last two years. I mean, you look at where the stock topped out and you look at the trajectory since. I mean, you've had moves of this magnitude, the upside, six times over the last 18 months. And the day that Bernstein said this, we said, you know what? Thanks for nothing. You're late to the party. We also said you're going to wind up being right, but your timing is miserable. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. FedEx is sort of losing their mojo, and they've been losing it now for the last two or so years on a tape that's been extraordinary and an environment where they should be crushing it. They're not. So I think today told you a lot. I think the next big move is to the downside. What do you think, Pete? You know, for a long time, everybody wants to wants to buy FedEx. They all want to give up all the reasons why. Well, on this pullback, you want to buy it. I don't agree with that. I think they've mismanaged things for far too long. I don't think they've gone into the right direction. Look at UPS. Look at look at the difference between two companies that we all put in the same category. And UPS has is per, performed far better. I, I continue to own that stock. I sell calls against it all the time. But I, a lot of that has to do with Mel. One of the, my biggest things whenever I do a pitch stock is start with the management. I think that's what the starting point is for these two. Look at UPS's management, how they've executed. Then look at FedEx's management and how have they executed. Karen? Well, I'm long FedEx and long UPS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, FedEx has been a 
perennial disappointment. Management is one. They, and succession planning doesn't, didn't seem to go as planned, right? So yep. you have Fred Smith back there again. They did a very ill-timed and poorly executed integration in Europe. And then here you have Amazon switching to, you know, single-day and everyday delivery. So that's a lot of spend for them. Um, so... Uh, you know, that it hasn't worked at all. However, I feel like the valuation is really discounting a lot of really bad news. But I, I have one bad left, one bad news left, <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm out, and then that will be the bottom. Yeah. That, that's yeah. capitulation. That will right be there. the bottom. So it right. did pop 22, uh, off the bottom in October off to 22%. Uh, it's seasonality for FedEx in November, that's the best month of the year for FedEx. It's usually up around 5%. A lot of this stuff has already been pre-rallied, but the worst month of the year is December. So to Karen's point, I would probably lock in profits right now because December doesn't look so pretty. Coming up, shares of Cisco in the red after reporting results. The company's conference call just wrapping up will break down the big highlights. Plus, one soaring semi-stocks have to report earnings tomorrow, and options traders are betting on even bigger gains when it reports. We are live at at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. time for a wealth tax in America. I've heard that there are some billionaires who don't support this plan. The vilification of billionaires makes no sense to me. It's bull. That is part of Democratic presidential hopeful Elizabeth Warren's new ad campaign. In it, Warren blasts several billionaires, not just Leon Cooperman. A campaign aide telling CNBC.com's Brian Schwartz that the new ad will start airing on the network later this week. You can read some more details on our website. By the way, we're going to hear from Leon Cooperman tomorrow on the Halftime Report. He's already given um, CNBC.com a statement which is filled with colorful words, as mm. you can imagine. Uh, but some of the other billionaires that had been criticized in this ad, uh, TD Ameritrade, former CEO of TD Ameritrade, Joe Ricketts, former Goldman Sachs CEO, Lloyd Blankfein, and Silicon Valley investor Peter Thiel. So there's somebody for everybody here. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. When you've seen Wall Street, they've been forced to give to both sides of the aisle for, for every presidential election. They have to donate money to Democrats and Republicans. We've heard from some of the banks saying they're going to sit this one out. I wonder, as this ratchets up even closer to the election, how many of them really sit on their hands? Because it, how do you invest in that if you're a capitalist? I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure how you go about doing that. And, and everyone knows I'm as unbiased as you can get. <laughs> Today it was interesting that um, Senator Ted Cruz tried to press Jerome Powell towards the end of the testimony to comment on the impact of a wealth tax. Jerome Powell would not take the bait. He said, I'm not going to assess or score any sort of campaign proposals. That's not my job or the Fed's job. That's the job of the CBOE and, and voters. You can decide for yourself. Um, he kind of got out of that, yeah. but you, you got to wonder what the impact would have in terms. You're saying it may not just be billionaires. It, it's easy to go after oh. billionaires because the numbers are so few. Right. But it might be other people who are aspirational, who want to be who the get billionaires. Frustrated by the idea of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. And I think that's part of what, you know. We'll see how this plays out. And clearly, you're going for the masses when you're making this kind of a statement. But how do the masses really react to that? And that's that's really going to be something I think pretty interesting because I don't know it's as big of a layup as people think going in. 
All right. Uh, let's get to Cisco here. We've got an earnings alert. The stock is down after hours. Frank Hollins at headquarters with the details. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Melissa. Weak guidance for the second quarter leading to a dip in Cisco shares, even after a solid beat on the top and the bottom line. The company giving really what you have to call a dire forecast for Q2, saying they see revenues falling 3 to 5 percent versus estimates of 2.6 percent growth. Cisco's EPS forecast falling several cents below estimates as well. CEO Chuck Robbins saying macro issues such as the U.S.-China trade war, Brexit and U.S. political turmoil are leading to lower business confidence and then impacting Cisco. On the call, Robbins offered more insight into the business factors that led to that weak guidance. So public sector continued to be strong, but the rest were, you know, in enterprise commercial uh, did weaken. You know, service provider and emerging markets, which were stressed last quarter, were about the same. Uh, we had um, shown, you know, the ability to uh, to offset that with strength in these in commercial and enterprise and public sector. And when those weakened, obviously this quarter that impacted our ability to uh, to offset them. We got a quick take from Needham's Alex Henderson. He raised the stock as a hold, and he added in reference to that guidance, perhaps a shock to investors that might have thought that this was a more stable growth business. And weakness looks to be from Cisco's cloud customers and service providers. Service providers includes companies such as AT&T and Verizon. We're going to continue this conversation about Cisco during an exclusive interview with CEO Chuck Robbins at 9 a.m. on Squawk on the Street tomorrow. Melissa, back to you. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland back at headquarters. What do you make of the second quarter in a row where Cisco's blaming U.S.-China as dampening consumer con- or business confidence, enough to spend at least? I don't know. I mean, it used to be that Cisco would announce and that would be really a proxy for how corporate America or, or maybe worldwide is doing. And I wonder if that is the case now, if it's not so specific to them, but it is more a broader concern. Um, so I, I don't know. Actually, I'm surprised that futures aren't down a little bit on this because I think I think it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. That Q2 yeah. sales miss, by the way, that's a billion big. dollars. Mm-hmm. It's a billion dollar yeah. shortfall. It's the revenue. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a big miss. I mean, you go back to the middle of July, end of July. This was a $57 stock. Two weeks later, it was trading 46 on commentary, basically like we're hearing now. So I think we absolutely go back and revisit that August low. I think was 46. Regardless of what you think about valuation, their clarity going forward, U.S., China. I think this stock is destined to trade that low. And we'll see what happens when we get there. But to Karen's point, I'm surprised that this is not having... This should be bigger than just Cisco, is my, is my sense. What I would love to know, and I think maybe you can only figure this out by reading the transcript at this point, is um, qualitatively, where did they see, was this a consistent um, hang back in terms of spend throughout the quarter, or was it more recent as the China trade headlines started getting a little bit more tense? I think they between said the, the whole two quarter sides, the whole was quarter bad. quarter was bad, okay. Yes. Because the, the interesting thing about Cisco is that, of course, they're, they're on a fiscal calendar, so they report a little bit later. You might get a little bit more clarity in terms of what is happening more recently in time. Yeah, and the pressures that, that uh, they, they put this out there already once before. Now they do it again. And to Guy's point, the 46 number, I mean, 58 to 46, and here we are back again. So, but the problem I, I see going forward is we need to see them actually put us uh, back in place with a quarter. And, and they can't keep doing this because if the rest of the market isn't quite as negative, unless that changes in the next quarter, then, it's, then, then, then Cisco was right. But otherwise, is this more of a Cisco issue right now? You think now? so? Well, it, it certainly could be. The competition has gotten fierce. Yeah. And we all know there's not one, not two, but at least two or three, four competitors right now with Cisco. They're still the big one, but they've got competition.
Yeah, so earnings are, are lagging and guidance is leading. This is the second time, to your point, that we've heard about lowering guidance. So I don't think it's so much as a macro call anymore. I think it's a Cisco-specific call. All right, let's get to the chip stocks. They've been ripping through the last month as the semi-surge heats up. Big names like Corvo, AMD, Qualcomm have done a lot of the heavy lifting. But check out NVIDIA. That stock has been no slouch either. It's up more than 12% in the past month, a whopping 56% on the year. The company reporting results tomorrow after the bell. Options traders are betting that the semi-stock can surge even higher. Mike is in San Francisco with all the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So NVIDIA, the calls out-traded the puts by about 2 to 1, and the options market's implying a move of about 6.8%. That's in line with the 6.1% or so that it has averaged over the last eight quarters. Most active when I was looking at this were the November 220 calls. Over 3,000 of those had traded for just over $2. So the fire of those is making a bet that it's going to rise above the 220 strike by at least the 2 bucks that they paid. Now, it also point out that you can see also not just by what they are doing, but what they aren't doing, how high they think the stock might go. Because if you had the two tens, those would have been broke, breaking even up about 4%. These outpace that up 8.8%. So that's probably the kind of bet that they're expecting to make here. Low probability bet, though, options market thinks there's about a 20% chance that it gets that high. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, tune into our full show. That is on Friday, mm. which is not tomorrow. Right. It's Friday, <laughs> 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. <laughs> to reveal whether you at home are buying Pete's pitch on American Express. It was close, but no cigar. America is not buying Pete's pitch on Amex, but at least we get to play a little Tony Braxton because we missed her the last time because Tim won with Disney. Yeah. Really? Well, enjoy this. It's for you, Pete. Time for the final trade. Go ahead. They're wrong about American Express, but Disney flying to the upside. Sell the the December 50 calls against it. Steve Grasso. I'm sticking with this one. West Rock, WRK, must hold $40. Chairwoman. Yes. Walmart reporting tomorrow, but I like Target better. You're looking at the clock. Okay. You know, I like... I like version of Tony? No, it's it's miserable. I like Jim Braxton. Love Jim Braxton. I don't know who that is. Yes, it's not the like. I don't know who that is. Um, Listen, JW, remember we talked about having tickets at the... JWN. Yeah, That does it for us. (laughs) Be back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.